You're listening to a resource from Jamboree Anglican Church. So here's the first question. How do the Anglican and Roman Catholic communion services differ? Interesting question, isn't it? Uh, in some ways, they're quite similar. Uh, if you've grown up growing to a uh, Roman Catholic church, uh, then you'll see that there are many things that are in common with the way that we do the Lord's Supper here in our church. And that's because the prayer book that we used is a revised version of the one that was used for hundreds and hundreds of years before a particular event called the Protestant Reformation. Now, I like this question because it happens to be Reformation Sunday this weekend. So it's right on the money. We're we're talking about Reformation. But the Reformation was a pretty significant moment in history because what they did is they said, hang on, I've got a funny feeling that some of the stuff we're doing in church actually doesn't match up with the Bible. How do you reckon we might be able to fix that? Well, why don't we grab a Bible? Good plan. So they did. They grabbed the Bible and they checked out what the church was doing. They said, hang on a minute. That's not in the Bible. And so there was this reformation where they came in and they fixed up a whole lot of really, really important things that had been really, really wrong. And one of the things that they did is they, they got this prayer book that everybody was using and they said, hang on, no, 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 we've got to change that, we've got to change that, we've got to get these bits back to the Bible. And one of those bits that they needed to get back to the Bible was a strange tradition where people thought that when you got together to have the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion or Eucharist or whatever you want to call it, they actually were saying that the bread bits really became the body of Christ and the wine actually became the blood of Christ. Now, you might think that's a bit weird. Well, it kind of is. But they were very, very committed to this idea. And so uh, when they get to the moment where they say, OK, this is the body of our Lord and this is the bread, this is the, the, the blood of our Lord, they actually say it's really the real deal. It, it might look and taste like bread and wine, but really on its inside, its, its essence is actually the, the, the body and blood of Jesus. And that's significant because then they kind of re-sacrifice Jesus there and then they get to that bit in the service where it happens and then they ring a bell bing, and at that point that's when the bread and wine is said to have become the body and blood of Christ and then they sing a little song to it they say behold the Lamb of God they say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord they actually speak to the blood and the body and they say you now here's Jesus and sometimes they even keep it in a safe later on because then they can hand it out after the service if they need to Uh, That's not what the Bible says. Uh, The Bible basically uh, is very clear that Jesus has been sacrificed once and for only, one one time only was necessary for Jesus to die. That's happened. And so when we get together and we have the Lord's Supper, it's a time for us to remember a very special event in the past. But it's not just head knowledge. It's kind of like we, we hear the promises of God when we have the bread and the wine. But it's just a remembrance thing. It's not actually the physical body and blood of Jesus. And that's one massively big way that what we do in our church here is totally different to the way that the Roman Catholic Church does Lord's Supper. Here's another question. It's another sort of similar related question on a different thing. Why do Roman Catholics believe that Mary is co-redemptrix with Jesus? Now, that's not a word you hear people talk about very much. Uh, it's, I think my, my little spell checker didn't really know what to do with it either. It doesn't really give a whole lot of, whole lot of usage. Well, what's interesting is that the, the Roman Catholics believe that Mary has a role to play along with Jesus 
in redeeming us from our sins. And the question here is, why do they believe that? And my answer is, I don't know, because it's not in the Bible. Pretty simple in a sense. You see, the, the Bible says that Mary was an amazing woman, a very special woman. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, if, uh, if I was a woman and I gave birth to the person who was the Messiah, who was, in fact, the same person who created the universe, you'd have to say I was a pretty fortunate person. And, and, and that's what they say. They say, blessed Mary, you know, like she's very, very fortunate. But she's just another human, just like you and just like me. Uh, this is one little time where I think that if Jesus wanted to say, yeah, my mum is more amazing than any other person, he would have put it in there. But look at this, uh, Luke 11. As he was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, God bless your mother, the womb from which you came and the breasts that nursed you. But Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. I, I mean... There was a classic time where he could have said, yeah, she's pretty awesome. Why don't you give her a special spot in your, you know, in the church? And, you know, we might even say that she's a co-redemptress, whatever that means. But basically, it's uh, the question is, why would they line up Mary to have this special role that's not in the Bible? This special role of, of having a job of somehow taking away our sins with Jesus. I suspect it's because they find it hard to believe that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago was enough to fully forgive every person who trusts in him. It just seems too much that Jesus could do all of that all back then. And so hence when they do the Lord's Supper, it's kind of like, well, we'll do another bit more here in in this service. And then we'll get Mary, she who is another human, can kind of be a bit involved so that, that it's not just Jesus who's doing all the hard work. But the Bible says that that's not the case at all. Jesus is the one who has done everything to save us. And so whilst Mary's an amazing person and, and, and is really worthy of us going, whoa, you're awesome, she's just another person. And that's because Jesus has done the lot. So praise God for the reformers who said, hey, let's check out the Bible. Oops, it's pretty different to what a lot of the church is doing. Let's fix it up. Finally, question three. Can you truly forgive someone who doesn't repent? Talked a little bit about forgiveness last week. That's a pretty heavy question, isn't it? And I think the answer is yes and no. I'll tell you why. Uh, All followers of Jesus are called to love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. That's just the standard thing. When you understand what it means to be forgiven by Jesus, when you think that he no longer sees you or me as an enemy, he no longer considers all the stuff we've done and puts it against our name as this debt, you've got to go, wow, the feeling's incredible. I've had this weight lifted on my shoulder. I feel it's amazing to be forgiven. That if that's happened to you, you'll say, well, I'm happy to forgive others as well. I'm happy to, to love others. But I think it's also the case that for there to be genuine forgiveness, there needs to be reconciliation. The normal way is one person says, I'm sorry, and then the other person says, I forgive you. And there is then a peace between the two of them. But I'm not totally sure that we can actually say, I forgive you, that someone can say, I forgive you, Uh, if they don't say sorry. 
I think that we can say, I love you and I wish to forgive you when you are genuinely sorry and I don't harbour anything against you. But I don't know if we can genuinely say, I forgive you if they haven't said sorry, because I think it's related to reconciliation there. And I think it's modelled in the way that God deals with us. We need to repent in order to be forgiven. But at the same time, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So maybe it's not quite that neat and tidy. And so I've sort of leave the jury out on that. At very least, you've got to be ready to forgive someone if you've been forgiven by God. And you've got to love them to death. Thank you for listening to this resource from Jembrew Anglican Church. For more information, head to jembrewanglican.com.